the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Good day, everyone. We've been praying for you. Question for y'all. Have you ever wondered why people use the term blind leading the blind? Well, it's biblical. Jesus said it. So anyway, let's welcome Brian Chilton. <laughs> hey, well, that's a good segue. Talk about the blind leading the blind and then introduce Brian <laughs> Chilton. <laughs> I, I, I smell a conspiracy going on here. What's you, you, didn't, you, you picked up on that, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's like yeah. was, I was talking tonight in our Bible study. A, a, a merry heart's like medicine, and boy, we need we need uh, good humor and 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 good times. Uh, we need to yeah. we need to share the joy that we have in Christ. Yeah, Amen. That's that's very true. Yeah, and finding joy. Um, just remember, joy is not always linked to happiness, but joy is always linked to Jesus. So, Amen. We just need to find the joy. Um, Anyway, so a uh, question for you real quick, Brian. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the cross in your backyard? I saw you had a Facebook post on that, and so I thought, hey, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning that. That uh, My my father-in-law, he uh, works a lot with, uh, well, he, he is a uh, an electrician, and he probably will kill me for letting it be known on the air that he's an electrician because probably people be calling him all the time. But... <laughs> He, he's, he, he does a lot of carpentry and stuff like that. And so he, uh, he, he made this cross for us back several years ago. And so uh, we he had a prayer garden in our, in our former house and uh, before we moved up to Pilot Mountain. And so uh, this, this became a, just a, a powerful thing for me uh, as, I, as I would often... Well, we had these different colored robes, or not robes, or cloths, that we put on the cross for different times in the Christian year. Uh, green is the color for the normal time in the church year. Red is for like a special occasion, like at Pentecost, and and um, for special events in the church. And then uh, blue is for Advent, uh, for Lent. Um, excuse me, Advent, the time before Christmas. And uh, purple is for Lent, the time before uh, Easter. But then Easter and Christmas, you have white cloth for a period of time. It's just become a, a good aid for me and my family in worship. Uh, we also have a light that we put place on it. And so uh, as we move, this is one of the last uh, yard art sculpture things we had, or yard art, I guess you'd say, that we had to put up. Uh, but what a blessing it is, because we put it back there close to in the woods, and we have a light shining back there. And one of the coolest things about it is that at night, uh, we live in the country, so it gets really dark here. But you can see the light flashing on that cross even late in the night. And uh, my wife even mentioned the other day, she said, you know, that's a good reminder about who, who's our, who, who our protector is and who's the yeah. one looking out for us. Uh, obviously not the, the cross itself, but uh, who the cross represents. And um, it's just been a great aid for us in worship. 
Um, we have a lot of uh, sculptures that we have in the in the yard, you know, of, of Jesus and angels and things of this nature. And um, we we don't use them like as icons or idols or anything like that. But again, they just they just reminders to us about who is really in charge and um, who who really our protector is. And that, obviously, that's found in God. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I was I was just going to ask you: is this is this something that yeah I know the answer to this? Is this something that anybody uh, anyone can do? Absolutely. Uh, my father-in-law, he made it a two. I think they were railroad. Um, uh, what we call we call them things. Uh, the, the the pieces of wood, the planks that they use in the railroad. Railroad ties. The railroad ties. Yeah, I think these were two railroad ties that he used and put together. And um, we we have some stuff. We've treated the wood. He treated the wood beforehand, and I, I've got to go back out there and put some more. I think it's some motor oil. We'll put some motor oil on it to help preserve it. Um, I've got to do that sometime this weekend, God willing. But uh, um, anybody can do that. And man, what a blessing it is just just to have it out there when people drive down the road. Uh, they can see it. Uh, it's visible for anybody who's riding around the area to see it. And uh, I mean, it's really a powerful scene, especially at night. Uh, it's kind of almost like a prayer garden, you know, w- what we've made out there or what we're trying to make out there. And so, just again, reminders of, of the faith we have in Christ. And yes, yeah, so yes, to answer your question, anybody can do this. Um, you just need two pieces of wood, one a little bit longer than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then. Uh... You know the cloths. They, that's something that they can look up uh, on the internet to find out the the seasons. Or oh yeah, in fact, I think I may have something on Bellator Christie. But if not, we can we can certainly make up uh, make uh, put a post online for that. Um, so so basically, you have just certain cloths through the year. White is uh, represents the holiness of God. So that will come through the season of Christmas and uh, um, and Easter, which lasts 40, 40 days. Uh, so the white cloth for that. The green cloth is, is the one that's on the cross the most. This uh, green is a symbol for um, eternity uh, because of evergreen trees and things of this nature. So um, so th- that talks about the normal common time we have in God, uh, the eternity we have in God. Red is a symbol of the blood. So that's actually uh, a color for the church, quite honestly. And so that represents special occasions like Pentecost and uh, different times and so blue and uh, blue is a time for uh, ad- advent before uh, Christmas which begins well I splurge on this a little bit because I love the color blue on that blue cloth we have so I usually put that up around Thanksgiving and leave it up until Christmas and so uh, then advent uh, is purple and so that is uh, placed uh, well whenever Lent begins uh, and then it goes on all the way up until the time of uh, Easter. Now, the Holy Week is a little different. Uh, Holy Week, you normally put, uh, I think you put red on the cross that week. And then for, on Good Friday, uh, the day Jesus was crucified, you, you uh, don't put anything on the cross. It's barren, representing the death of Jesus. And it stays barren until until Easter when you put the white cloth back on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just thought that was cool because... And we talked about it before in the past, and and uh, I know you actually had a podcast a long time ago on it. Um, and it was, you know, it, when I saw it, I was like, you know what, that'd be good to point out to people that, you know, as as the times are getting kind of a little bit more uh, crazy, we need to have that time where we're actually in the Word and we're actually able to focus on what that what that represents for us, and maybe spend some time 
not worshiping the cross, but praying at the cross. Um, yeah, and, and one thing I've noticed is, as I go out there, and, and um, I, I didn't do this in Yakinville, but starting in, with our, pre, our home in Westfield and now in Pilot, the, the winds are up a little bit a little bit more in the area. Not so much here as it was in Westfield, but I started putting little nails in the cross to uh, to hold the, the cloths on. And there's something special about taking that other colored cloth whenever the whenever the colors change and then nailing it to the cross. And it's just a powerful reminder that uh, essentially we nailed Jesus to the cross. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, but he did so willingly so that we would have life. And so there's something powerful about that. And I think you're right. That keeps us, at least for me, that's an aid to worship. It keeps me centered on the things that I need to be centered on. And then that, in addition with with being in the Word, I mean, it it really helps. It provides an anchor uh, amid, amid these troubled waters that we're going through. Yeah, what a great thing. It's awesome. Hey, so let's get to our topic. It's going to be a big one. Um, we're going to get on to uh, the seven main attributes of God, um, and so we'll kind of dig in there. So uh, let me start out with the, uh, what are we talking about when we mention the attributes of God? So when we talk about the attributes of God, and by the way, in theology, this is one of my favorite topics uh, when we talk about the attributes of God. The attributes of God are characteristics that describe who God is. Um, some of these, some of these, well, really, a lot of them are are necessary traits for God to be God. So these would think be things that would have to be of God for God to exist, um, and, and we'll get into that as we go along. But uh, so these are qualities that God possesses. So, we have, for instance, if you were to describe me, Brian Chilton, you would say that I'm uh, I have dark, I have brown hair, uh, I have hazel eyes. Uh, I'm five foot seven, so thus you could say I'm a shorter guy. Uh, I'm a man. I, I sport a mustache and goatee. Uh, these are traits, physical characteristics uh, that, that pertain to who I am. I'm also the father to my son Grayson and a husband to my wife Jennifer. These are also characteristics. Uh, you could speak of moral attributes. Uh, of who I am. Uh, some people say that I'm kind of a light-hearted guy. I like to joke and have fun, uh, but serious when it comes to theology and apologetics, those type of things. So the, these are characteristics that someone would use to describe me. So what are some characteristics you would say that people would use for you, Curtis? Um, uh, I'm a 5'6", uh, Dutch descent, um, father of seven kids, four of my own, three fosters, uh, you are my hero. <laughs> lo- love sharing uh, my life with uh, my wife, Christina. Um, I'm serious about showing men uh, who the true God is uh, so they can lead their families well. So, I mean, there's there's multiple. You could go in on even further, but yeah, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, th- th- these are all characteristics that describe who we are. Uh, it-, it describes things about... Uh, not, not only our physical structure, but the way we live. Uh, so th- these are all; these would all be considered part of our attributes. And so when we talk about the attributes of God, generally speaking, theologians normally break the attributes of God into two categories. Non-moral attributes, and these are the areas where you see more of the necessary traits uh, of, of God for Him to be who He is, 
God would have to have these traits, like omnipotence. We'll talk about that as we go along. Uh, but these non-moral attributes, these are things that God doesn't share with anything, but they constitute who He is in Himself. And then moral attributes. And moral attributes is how God relates to other beings. Um, and then here we would talk about the love and compassion that God has, the mercy, His His holiness, and things of this nature. Uh, holiness may even be an attribute that would be non uh, non moral. Uh, some some may say, but uh, if you talk about God's purity as such, but but anyhow, non moral attributes describe God as who God is in God's self. Um, these are attributes that God doesn't share, but moral attributes are shareable. Uh, they're relatable. Uh, they they relate to how God um, involves Himself with with other beings. Now, interestingly, time. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, interestingly, I, I want to read a psalm as we get started in this, and I know we're going to have multiple podcasts uh, stemming from from this one. But many of God's attributes can be found in Psalm one thirty nine, and I'd like to read through this for a few moments, if I could. Um, let me uh, get my Bible here. I had, have this on the computer, but I'm going to read this from my Bible here. It says, um, reading this from the CSB, it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I stand up. You observe, you understand my thoughts when far from far away. Now, there you see the omnipresence of God. Um, or even, the, excuse me, the omniscience of God. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Okay, so here you can see the omniscience of God. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So before he even thinks a thought, God knows the thought he's going to think. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. Uh, I am unable to reach it. Now here's where you really see the omni uh, omnipresence of God. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you're there. If I live in the eastern at the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, uh, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. So you can talk about the omnipotence, the transcendence of God here. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. God knew David before David even existed. All the days were written in your book and planned. You can talk about the transcendence, eternal nature of God before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. Uh, how vast is their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. Okay, this is a prayer of David. Uh, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. So he knows that God has the power. He knows God is holy. Who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. 
Lord, uh, he talks about the holiness of God and the ability of God of, of bringing justice in the end. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? Now here we're going to talk about the omnibenevolence of God, so we'll come back to this a little later. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. This is the emotional aspect of, of uh, David coming out. But he goes into verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. God can see in the inner man. Test me and know my concerns. If there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. So in this passage of Scripture, we actually see a lot of the attributes of God coming forth. But we're going to not only see this uh, in in uh, in our podcast today, but we'll take a look at some other Scriptures and, um, and and some other ways we can know some of these attributes about God as we go through this. Yeah, I was about to say, podcast over. <laughs> Psalm, you know, the New King James is uh, um, when you were, um, I just closed my book too, um, when you were reading that, um, one thing that stuck out to me, um, it said... Uh, for the, uh, in verse 4, it says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it mm-hmm. altogether. So even the words we say, even the things we think in our head, in our secret times, in our, our he knows what we're going to say. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So number, uh, let's go into number two. Um, actually, this will be the first of all of our attributes here. So, um uh, what is omnipresence? Dig into that. Omnipresence is one of God's necessary attributes. Because So if we're talking about God as being the ultimate being, the creator of, of all things, this would mean that, and we're going to come back to this as we talk about transcendence a little later on, but omnipotence is, is, uh, is something where God would have to be beyond the scope of space and time. So it describes God's infinity by which he transcends the spatial dynamic, and we, and we didn't. We're not going to really talk about the spiritual nature of God, but I think it dawned on me as I was looking at the questions that 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 that's another attribute of God that we need to understand is that God is um, metaphysical, and, and some people look at metaphysical and say, "Well, hey, what is that?" You know, uh, you know, if it's not physical, it can't be real. Well, that's not true. But there, are, I think that there are reasons to believe there are metaphysical things that gave rise to the physical things. And I think you have to have the metaphysical world to have a physical world. And so I, I won't get into all of that, but, uh, but, but God is beyond the scope of space and time. Um, so God can be present everywhere and can see everything that happens. And there's not a place where God is not found. So that means if you have family members on the other side of the world... God is with those people at the same time He's with us where we are. I mean, even right now, Curtis, I mean, you're in St. Ignatius, Monta- Montana. Uh-huh. I'm in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, and through, through the, the, the miracle of modern technology, we're, we're talking together and, uh, and, and doing the podcast. But the amazing thing is, while we are separated by, I don't know how many miles, 1,200 miles, 1,500 miles, something like that? I don't know, more, more than that. <laughs> 2,000 miles, whatever the case may be. Um, while we're separated by many miles, the same God that is with me here in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, is is with you at the exact same time, even though you're on mountain time and I'm on eastern time. He, in his timing, he's with us at the very same moment, at the same time. 
And so that's the amazing thing about it. So you can pray for someone who's on the other side of the world, and God is with that person at that moment in time when you're praying for them. So God's omnipresence means that he can be in places that we could never be. And sometimes I know we wish we could be in five places at one time. God has the ability to do that, but we don't. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we need to trust in the, the power of God. Now, some things we may want to look at as we're going through these different podcasts, there are some theological challenges that people have raised. And I'm just going to mention three. There are others we could bring up. Does, does, how does God, uh, one question could be asked, does God relate to various beings differently? Being that he's in all places at all time and he's with relationship with some people and not with others, does that relationship or does his spatial uh, impact, does it impact beings differently in one area than it does in the other? You know, how does that relationship come to be? Another question people ask is, is God's presence in hell? How do we answer that? You know, uh, if, yeah. if hell is the antithesis of the attributes of God and God is in all places at all times, does, is God in hell? Uh, and lastly, does this lead? Does the idea of uh, um, omniscience or omnipresence lead to some type of pantheism or panentheism? How are they different? And so that's something we'll probably want to talk about when we do a podcast on omnipresence. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, that one number two where it talks about is God's presence in hell. Uh, that that gets to be kind of a little sticky. Oh, and by the way, we're uh, twenty three hundred and six miles apart. 2,306 miles apart. Wow. Boy, I was way off. <laughs> so what is uh, omnipotence? Oh, omnipotence is uh, God's unlimited ability to do whatever is possible to do. Now, this is going to be a key distinction when we get to this attribute on the podcast when we, when we cover this. God has unlimited power to do anything in any place according to his will. But the question is, can God do the logically impossible? Uh, one question is often asked, can God create a, uh, a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? So that's, that's, that'll be something we'll probably do, want to discuss when we, when we go through this attribute on a future podcast. Um, but the whole concept that of God's omnipotence is a very biblical one. God creates and brings things into being by his spoken word. God can just speak it and things come to be. He also sustains all beings by his power. So um, so when we look at this when we look at the scripture, in Revelation 19:6, the, the Greek term pantocrator is used. And this refers to God being the Almighty, the omnipotent. Some translations will, will translate it as being omnipotent. Uh, some others will translate it as being almighty. This means that he has unlimited power. Um, and here's the interesting thing. His omnipotent nature is also found in many of the Old Testament names. Uh-huh. So this, this is very fascinating. Like El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty. Uh, so one of the scriptures, we have several. Um, so let's take a look at Genesis 17.1. This is one I had here. Um, okay, here we go. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. I am the El Shaddai. Um, live in my presence and be, and be blameless, he goes on to say. So this talks about his power to do anything uh, that can be done. 
Uh, and, and we see this, can see this in other passages of Scripture. And when we get to this podcast, hopefully we'll be able to, to dissect and go through the other passages of Scripture as well. But this describes God's transcendent divine power that acts in the interests of God's covenant people. So the amazing thing to consider when we talk about God being the El Shaddai is that when we pray, uh, we ha- we're tapping into unlimited power. We're tapping into God's power. Yeah, so let's pray God-sized prayers. Yeah, absolutely. Pray God-sized prayers because we can't move mountains. Jesus said, you know, by by prayer, you know, we could pray for a mountain to be moved and to be moved. Now, we can't do that, but God can. God created the mountains. God created everything. So by God's power, if it's in his will, he can do even the things that seem impossible for us. You know, so... El Shaddai is one example. The Yah Shaboth or Yahweh Shaboth. Um, this means that God is the king omnipotent. God is the king who's surrounded by a host of angels. Uh, let's take a look at Psalm 24.10. Let me flip over here. Um, Twenty fourteen says, Then who is he? This King of Glory, the Lord of Armies, He is the Lord of the King of Glory. Uh, so, so, so He is the Lord of the Lord of Armies. He is the King of Glory. So, uh, He He has uh, the ultimate authority over all things. The Lord of the Sabbath, even uh, the uh, the Abhir is another name for God, uh, the, which means the Strong One. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Psalm one thirty two two. Uh, this is the one just closest to me, so let me flip there. 132.2 says, And he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the Mighty One of Jacob. The Mighty One, the up here. God is the up here, the Mighty One. So uh, he, this this speaks of the omnipotence of God. Here's another one. This is this is one of my favorites, the El Gabor. Uh-huh. Uh, this God is a hero. He's like he's a superhero to his people. He's the mighty one. We see this used in uh, Isaiah 9, 6 for the Messiah. Uh, we also see it in Jeremiah. I'm going to turn to Jeremiah 20, 11. Uh, Jeremiah 20, 11. And... Twenty eleven, um, but the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. Uh, therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Since they have not succeeded, they will be utterly shamed, and everlasting humiliation will be uh, never forgotten. So, the, this idea of, of him being a warrior, uh, being a champion of God's people, is presented uh-huh. uh, in the text. So, he's also called. This is an interesting one. Uh, one I wasn't as familiar. Uh, the El Hay. Uh, or El Hai, I, I guess I'm. Pronoun- I did better in Greek than I did in Hebrew, so if I'm mispronouncing this, forgive me. But this yeah, means, it looks like hey to me. Yeah, <laughs> the living God. This means that God has the power, uh, the power that God exudes over creation and over in impotent idols. Uh, let's take a look here at First uh, Samuel seventeen twenty six. First uh, Samuel. 
Okay, here we, here we go. David spoke to the men who were standing with him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, the El Hay, the living God? And so this talks about the even the energy of God, if you want to call it that. Uh, so so all of these all of these are attributed to the omnipotence of God in some form or fashion. Um, and there are many other passages of Scripture that I'm sure we'll want to look at when we get to that podcast. But uh, some theological challenges um, we can mention is some things we've already mentioned. Can God do anything? Uh, can God do the logically impossible? Um, some people would ask, is, omnip- is omnipotence incoherent since omnipotence would not allow a God to, to to create a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it. And and another question is, can God act in a manner against his own moral nature? Uh, and if not, does this affect, affect his omnipotence? So th- these are some questions, and I'm sure there are many, many others we could talk about there when we get to that podcast. Yeah, yeah. And that's that, that one right there is probably one of the ones that probably my more favorite, just digging through that and going through the names of God. Um, there's a lot to be said for for those names that are called, um, you know, called that he's called um, in, in the Old Testament. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty powerful. I mean, we could have a whole podcast just on the names of God sometime, you know. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's almost like these, these names have these the, have these theological attributes imbued in them. It's almost like they're the the, the names are kind of like a theological textbook, so to speak, describing who yeah. God is. Yeah, yeah, and you just let your mind uh, wander and think as, as as it's being described of what that like El Shaddai, what that what that means, and as that's being um, described, um, then you you start thinking of the scriptures that point to those um, actual subjects of who God is. Absolutely. So let's get into uh, the next one, uh, omniscience. This this is one of my favorite ones, uh, of, of, of course I love all the attributes, but this one's really, to me, quite fascinating. Omniscience describes God's unlimited knowledge of all things past, present, and future. God knows all possibilities. I mean, I, I've always been more of a wordsmith than a mathematician, and I've always wished that I could have been good at math uh, because it amazes me. I love watching these shows where you see these these mathematicians get on there and they start they start uh, putting all these elaborate mathematical equations up, and these mathematical equations describe how the world works. Well, guess where those things come from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all came from God. We're just discovering everything we do is just discovering something that God already knew, which is mm-hmm. remarkable if we really think about it. So all God right. knows all mathematical equations. He knows all the scientific laws because He made them. He knows all creatures, past, present, and future. He knows. Uh, I mean, there, there's a, there's some woods behind me, and I'm sure there's some animals back there. I can't see them now, but God does. Around you, Curtis, uh, you, you, there, there are probably a bunch of animals around about in, in Montana area. And we can't see them now, but God at this very moment can see them, knows exactly what they're doing, where they're going. And the amazing thing is, as you, as you pointed out earlier in Psalm 139, David says, 
Here's the amazing thing. Before a thought has been thought, God already knew the thought that was going to be thought. And, and this is amazing if you really think about it because he knows every action we're going to make before we ever make it. So, right. And, and, and he, knows the, uh, he knows the ripple effect of what that is actually going to do. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Absolutely. Powerful. So, so just, out of, just out of curiosity, what's your favorite ice cream? Um, well, I got a couple, but uh, if you had really pressed me, I'd probably have to say... Uh, we got an ice cream around here. It's called Bunny Tracks, and it's a uh, um, it's a uh, little chocolate covered peanuts in uh, um, vanilla with chocolate swirl in it that uh, that has um, uh, little uh, Reese's peanut butter cups in them. Man, that sounds so, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so so, what's your second favorite one? Uh, let's just say um, pralines and cream. Okay, so so say you had a choice uh, of of these different these different ice creams, and you would normally choose the bunny tracks, but but you would uh, but but you thought, well, I'm going to trick God by choosing something completely different. I want to choose strawberry ice cream, and you say, I'm I'm going to trick God by this. But here's the thing: God knew the act before the actor even knew the actor was going to act differently than his normal acts. God knows what we're going to do. Even if we're going to decide to try to trick God, He knows that we're going to try to trick Him before we ever thought that we were going to try to trick Him. So how, as I've always said, told people, don't play chess with God because God knows all the moves you're going to make before you even think about making them. Amen. <laughs> so this, this uh, God's uh, omniscience is seen throughout many passages of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to go to one, one real quickly, Psalm 147, um, verse 5. 147, verse 5. Uh, it says, Our Lord is great, vast in power, and His understanding is infinite. So there's no limitation on the knowledge of God. And, and if you really think about it, because God is all-powerful, God is omnipresent, then God knows everything that's going on. And here's the amazing thing about God's omniscience. He not only sees the exterior of a person, but he's able to, to know uh, the inside of a person. You know, it's like David said in the, in the previous passage, search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. Cleanse me from this unrighteousness. Uh, God can see the inner man, even to the point that he even knows our thoughts, which is scary to consider. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's several... Yes. So, so like on First uh, um, Peter three twelve, when you read that, it says, uh, "For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Oh wow! See, yeah, and so God knows the interior of a person's heart. God knows the motivations. God knows everything there is to know about the person. Ufta, yeah. So. You know, th- th- there's no hiding from the Lord. Um, there's no running from the Lord. I mean, Amos gives a depiction of this that I think is really, really good, uh, re- really a cool picture. He talks about someone running from the judgment of God is like a person who, who meets a lion. He runs from the lion and is met by a bear. He escapes the lion, is met by a bear. He runs from the bear inside his house, closes the door, locks the, the bear out, puts his hand up on his wall and he's bit by a serpent. 
and dies from that. What he's saying is you can run, but you can't hide <laughs> because God knows all there is to know about us. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So, you know, I could understand if a person was rebelling against the Lord why they would want God not to exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, kind of, it kind of brings into that whole... Um, they want to. They want to live their. They want to live their own autonomous life, but but in reality, whether they reject or accept God, God's existence, He's still there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, so, a, so go ahead. Oh, 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 I was just going to say some theological challenges we'll probably want to look at whenever we get to this this uh, this uh, attribute is. You know, here's a question: If God foreknows the future, are we really free to make our own decisions? That's something people bring up. If God foreknows the future evil actions of people, then why doesn't He work to stop them? This is kind of like the whole thought experiment of, of if you if you um, if you um, saw in the infant Adolf Hitler and you knew what Hitler was going to do, would you be morally justified in taking him out as a child? Uh, some people have asked that question. Uh, the third thing is God restrained by time. That, that's a, that's another question to consider. Number four is God's knowledge limited by His normal, moral nature. Um, some have asked that. Why did Jesus not know the time of His appearing? If Jesus is God, why does He not know when the, the He's then when the time is going to come when He returns? Why does He not know that but the Father only? Uh, <laughs> that's the big question, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, but that's uh, that also um, goes into um, we we got to look just beyond what we would normally count that as too. Yeah, so, exactly, and that and that can get kind of deep there. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know here, here's another one. I've heard people mention this several times. If God already knows what's going to happen and has a purpose, why do we need to pray? Is prayer effective? Yeah. Is prayer necessary? If uh, if God knows what's going to happen and has a purpose for everything, so that, that's that's those are some of the issues that we talk about. As we talk about, as we've spoken before, when we talk about the attributes of God, it's like going in a room only finding doors to five more rooms when you go in one, and it just grows as you as you continue. Yeah, and, and it, what's going to be interesting is as we go through these uh, the next several weeks, we we're going to dig through them, and um, we will always. Uh, be pointing back to the main uh, objective of this, and that's to know God and to know Him uh, deeper in the presence of who He is and who we are. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, uh, what is omnibenevolence? Omnibenevolence is not one of the more popular uh, attributes. It's not discussed as much as some of the other ones, but I think it's just as important to understand Omnibenevolence, and by the way, omni is the word is the Latin word for all, and benevolence is talking about love. So, uh, so when we talk about the God being omnibenevolent, it's, it means it's talking about God's perfection and His absolute goodness. Um, God's omnibenevolence indicates that God has a love for all people, while that love may be different relationally. God still has a love for all people, for creation, and for all of his creatures. And I think one good example of the omnibenevolence of God is found in 1 John 1.5. I wrote an article uh, pertaining to this passage of Scripture earlier this week. Uh, let, let me flip to it right quick. 
Okay, here we go. It says, "This is the fellowship we have um, we have heard from Him and declare to you: God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and are are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship." With one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Uh, so, so on and so forth. But the point is, is that God is light. To say that is talking about. I think the fact. I think that God does exude light uh, in, in His presence. If you were to see God, He would exude a magnificent form of light. But I think in this reference, I think He's talking about that uh, the light is referring to the symbolic nature as well as the physical, metaphysical nature of God being being light. He's talking about the fact that God is absolute good and there's no evil in him whatsoever. So, uh-huh. And there's several things we could discuss about this. And so um, theological challenges, you know, obviously we'll have several we want to talk about. Does God love everyone, even the unsaved and condemned? Uh, that, that's a question some people have. Uh, if yeah. God is all loving, then why did He even create Satan, and why does He permit evil or, cre- or create evil? Now, I would argue that God doesn't create evil because evil is a response, but that'll be something we'll get into as we as we discuss that attribute. Right, right, yeah. Frank Turk has a good description of that. It's. Uh has something to do with the rust and the rust in a car and and uh, and I think that's um, I think that's pretty uh, a pretty good description of that absolutely so um, let's go to the next one what is uh, omnitemporality okay here again omni means all temporal means the the, the physical world so to say God is omnitemporal uh, is to say that God is in all points of time and even beyond that. Uh, so essentially this is saying that time has no bearing on God. Uh, we could talk about the passages of Scripture that say that a, a day, a hundred years to the, a thousand years uh, is as one day to the Lord uh, because time has no bearing on God. Uh, some people would even say that time comes from God. Uh, that there would be no time if it wasn't for God. He is the Father of all time. Some some might say. Um, so I, I think I think a way of thinking about this is in is in mathematics. You you have the whole uh, in geometry. Uh, I was better at geometry than I was algebra. And, but in geometry, you talk about uh, eternity being kind of like a line. Uh, a line has a, an arrow on one side, meaning it goes infinitely in one direction, and an arrow on the other side, meaning it goes infinitely in the other direction. It, there's no there's no end point to it. So God is kind of like the line in geometry. Uh, there, he, there, he has no past, no no. Well, when I say no past, I, I'm talking about the fact that he has no beginning, he has no end. Uh, that the whole time you see in Scripture, God is called the Alpha and Omega. Um, it means. That he is in all points of time. He is the beginning. He is the end, and he's even before the beginning, and he's after the end. Uh, there's not a point in time where God does not exist. So, uh, in Genesis twenty-one thirty-three, um, he called Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord, and he called him the everlasting God. 
we, we see this further developed in the New Testament in Romans 16.26. Let me read this uh, real quickly, and I'll, I'll end here with this. But Romans 16.26, uh, and if you have it before I do, go, go, go ahead and read uh Here it is. But now, uh, let me go back before that. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long, uh, for, for long, silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. The eternal God. And by this, he, he uses a term... Depicting eons, that God is beyond the eons of time. So, um, th- this is a very interesting topic, and this this one can probably get the most technical easily of any of the uh, of any of the uh, attributes that we'll discuss. Some questions to consider as we go through this: Can he, can people change the mind of God if His plans are eternal? Uh, what does the Bible mean when it says that God repented? Of certain actions, uh, or can God repent if if God is beyond time? How does God interact with time? And, and I actually wrote a paper for, and shared it with the ETS on this issue, asking what is eternal time? Uh, is it the A theory of time? Is it the B theory of time? There's also another theory called A B theory of time, and there's also one called um, divine timelessness. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't know that I've made up my mind what that is. I don't even know that we can even know what that type of time is. Um, and if eternal time is this B type of time, which is kind of like a static type of time, can we know that there was a time when time began? Like I said, this gets really deep. <laughs> so, yeah. but we'll try to keep it. We'll try to we'll try to keep it from getting too deep whenever we talk about this uh, this attribute. Right, right. And one that I one that I thought was. Um uh, a good one to put up was uh, the Omni Sapiens. Absolutely, Omni Sapiens is the understanding of God being an all wise God. Uh-huh. Th- there's a distinction between Omni Sapiens and Omniscience. Right. Omniscience talks about the intellect of God, God knowing all things. But how do we know that God is going to make good decisions with the knowledge that He has? Well. Omnisapience talks about God being all-wise. And so it deals with God's decision-making, His wisdom, to show that God knows how to make the best decisions for creation, for ourselves, and for all of history. So even... Here's the interesting thing. We're all caught in amid great turmoil, wondering about the future of our nation, the future of our world. But here's the thing. God has already authored the story of history already and is coming to a certain end that he's already told us about in the book of Revelation. So um, there again, you know, there, there are many things we could talk about. Romans 8.28 is a good passage of scripture. It talks about the omnisapience of God. God works out all things to, to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so some uh, questions that could be posed concerning this, and we kind of touched on this earlier, um, 
what do we do with a passage of Scripture that says God repented? If God is all wise, does that mean he made a mistake and repented of this? Um, that actually may be a better place to handle this than it would be in the omnitemporality. But um, uh-huh. if God is all wise, why did he place Adam and Eve in the garden knowing that they would fall? Um, that's, a, that's a question many people pose. Yeah. And then uh, the, the big one that I've that I read, this is probably one of my favorite ones right here. The, the biggest ones that I really like is the, is the transcendence. What is transcendence? Well, and transcendence is, is, has been hinted uh, at a little bit throughout the podcast already with some of the other attributes that we've been discussing. Transcendence is coupled with another word called eminence. When we talk about eminence, we're talking about, and this talks about the omnipresence of God. When we talk about eminence, we're talking about the personal relational aspect of God, how God works and intervenes in time, in creation, with people. Transcendence emphasizes God's distinction from His creation and His exaltation over it. Uh, great theologian Karl Barth noted that God is wholly over creation. So God is not a part of creation. He's not the soul of the creation, even though God is fully in creation. He is the eternal, uncreated, absolute, self-contained, self-existent, sovereign creator of all things, by whose power all things exist and have their being. And that'll preach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's always a good one to uh, you know to kind of stump people with. <laughs> they have to ponder that for some time. I know I do. Well, and, and this even brings up the whole concept. And, and this isn't an attribute that we'll necessarily be talking about, but but there's another attribute called the aseity of God. And this attribute talks about the self-sustaining nature of God. That God absolutely doesn't, he doesn't need anyone or anything to, to exist because God eternally existed without anyone or anything. We, we don't like hearing that. All right. We don't like hearing that because we want to think that God needs us. But did God really need us? Right. I mean, God was fully capable. I mean, I was born in 1977. And there was a lot of history that happened before 1977. There's a lot of the scriptures were written well before 1977. So, was God incapable of running things before 1977? God was doing perfectly fine before 1977. So, God does not necessarily need us. Now, does God use us for His glory and honor? Yeah, but it's an honor to be used by God. But that doesn't mean that God necessarily needs us. Um, A couple of examples in scriptures that show us. The transcendence of God is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Some people uh-huh. call it Jehovah. I think the more uh-huh. proper pronunciation is Yahweh. Uh, uh-huh. But it means the I am. The I am what I am. It means the self-existing one. So here again, you have another name for God that illustrates an attribute. So the self-existent, self-sustaining one, but yet the one that it, that all of creation depends on for its existence. Psalm 91 and 2 is a good place to go. Let's go there right quick. Psalm 90. It says, Lord, you've been our refuge in every generation. Uh, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, 
from eternity to eternity, you are God. So before anything came about, God was still God. So some questions to, to ask when we get to this one. If, if God is transcendent, can we really know anything about God? That's a question. And Carl Barth asked this question. Um, if God's transcendent, can we truly have a relationship with God or God with us? And That's there are different one, yeah. theologians who've asked that question throughout the centuries. Um, what about God? Could we really know if God is completely transcendent? And or transcendent? And how do we explain the hiddenness of God? We have the whole idea and concept of the hiddenness of God mm-hmm. in that section. So I'm sure there are many other questions. This is just the tip of the iceberg on these different podcasts we're talking about doing. Uh, there yeah. are many other questions we can ask uh, as we go through that. Yeah, yeah. So um, we just want to uh, invite our invite our listeners to uh, engage with us um, online and and uh, send us send us some questions or what have you, and uh, be watching for the next uh, several weeks as we uh, as we parse these uh, attributes of God out, and uh, we try to get a little deeper, but keep it uh, to a point that we all can uh, share a common understanding of it, and and allow us to think deeply onto this stuff and and be able to speak into others lives so we're going to wrap it up here and uh, so we here at Bellas for Christie want to thank you for spending the time together with us and we value that time our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information join us next time on the Bellas for Christie podcast and until next time Brian and I say What's on, friends? You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.
Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristi.com and the Bellator Christi Podcast. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to True North, the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.